You're listening to the 123 show with me, Noreen Mayer, on this rainy Tuesday afternoon. And I'd like to welcome back on the program Andrew Dambina, our food and drinks correspondent. Andrew, it's great to speak to you. How are you doing today? Good to speak to you too, Noreen. Good, thanks on this cloudy, rainy, whatever of a day. I knew, you, I knew you'd talk about the weather. It's something that we can't avoid because we, we live on such different parts of Hong Kong. I, technically, yeah. I don't live in Broadcasting House, but I feel like I'm living here, having been <laughs> here for so many years. Um, it's it's pretty <laughs> gloomy on Broadcast Drive uh, in, in Kowloon Tong. Grey skies and all. What about for you on the outlying island? It's the, exactly the same, Lamaside. <laughs> Lamaside. <Exactly the> <laughs> so yeah. what have you got? Yeah. Have you got some cheerful news for us? Some yummy, um, I was going to say uh, art news, not art today, it's food. <laughs> some yummy food news for us? I, I, I've got something a bit different today. Uh, I want to <laughs> start, start off with, uh, first, we've talked, you, me- you mentioned art there for a second. And um, uh, during this time of the pandemic, there have been some very interesting things happening in the world of collecting stuff. And I want to talk about wine. There was a, um, the, a single bottle of Australian wine sold in auction t- two weekends ago, and it set a new record price for that country. Um, wow. It's, uh, yeah. It's from 1951, and it's a bottle of which there are only supposedly 20 or 30 in in the in the hands or cellars of collectors in the world it is the uh penfolds grange which is the uh most collected and most esteemed and well respected wine from the whole of australia and it's made predominantly with cabernet sauvignon the red grape which has been um blended with a small amount of, um, uh, well, actually, it's a mixture of Shiraz, which is the iconic Australian grape, and Cabernet Sauvignon. So the blend and the proportions between Shiraz and Cabernet Sauvignon is depends on how good the grapes are of each type throughout the harvest, and then they will mix it accordingly. But when this was first made by the winemaker in 1951, it was thought to be a crazy idea. Uh, the founder the founding winemaker of Penfolds, which is in South Australia at that time. His name was Max Schubert. And what he was trying to do was something that is very common in the uh, wine country of Bordeaux, which is arguably the most highly prized region for winemaking in the world in France, in central France. And they do blend a number of red wines, they're only allowed to use certain types that were the, the, under the rules of what makes a wine able to call itself a Bordeaux wine. And Shiraz and Cabernet Sauvignon, particularly Cabernet Sauvignon, is a grape that originally would have come from France and was cultivated to make those Bordeaux blends. So the red blends that, that fetch the most at auction from Bordeaux are always a mixture. But in a new world country, it seemed like a bit of a strange thing to do because basically all of the table wine cuttings from Australia do come from elsewhere. There's nothing that's indigenous to Australia that wouldn't have come from another wine region in the world. They didn't arrive there naturally. So it was a strange 
project for somebody to do. Max Schubert was the man who did it, and he was the first person to start trying to make the typical red blends that uh, people love to drink and collect. Um, and he ended up creating Penfold's Grange, which is so highly prized that it reached 142,000, um, just over 142,000 Aussie dollars, which is a touch under 812,000 Hong Kong dollars. 800, yeah, one bottle of plonk. Well, it's not plonk. <laughs> yeah. Who, who, said, who said that? But it's no, it's, it's, a, it's a highly esteemed bottle of wine. It was the debut vintage of 1951, as I said, and that's what makes it so worth collecting. The question is, though, I wonder how often those bottles, those remaining 20 or 30 bottles, get opened. The previous record um, for the same wine, 1951, was 103,000 Aussie dollars. So this time it's 142, significantly uh, different at auction. It's the 70th anniversary of the wine that they call the Grange, this blend from Penfolds, um, and it's, that makes it even more special because it is an iconic Australian wine, and it was um, and it was a wine that was so um, that the, the owners of Penfolds were so unsure about when Schubert, the wine, their winemaker, made it that they didn't put it into commercial production. They uh, so so that's why there were so few bottles that it becomes worth so much because it was only later, right at the end of the 1950s uh, and early 60s that the company itself thought, yeah, this is a pretty amazing wine. Let's put it into production. They're so smart. So no, no, they're so smart. Yeah. They, they were saving it for, for, for this moment, sort of 70 ah. years on, 70 years on. Right. Uh, Andrew, I'm going to ask you a, a bit of a strange question, and, and I think you'll be able to answer this because you're very mm. knowledgeable when it comes to wine. Um, I mean, a lot of wines sort of say, you know, it's from, I don't know, say 1962 or 1958 or 1948, whatever the year mm. is. And then they auction off for, for quite a high price. Do, do then people sort of test genuinely what year it's from? I mean, I, winemakers have no reason oh. to, to, to lie about this. But, I mean, if you are sort of auctioning off a, a very expensive bottle of wine, is there mm. – uh, does it just go by trust, word of mouth? I mean, is there some sort of oh. accreditation body that actually – I suppose you can't really – I mean, the only way to test it would be to open the bottle of wine, take a little bit of a sample, but then you that would – sort of defeat the purpose and you can't really auction mm. off the open bottle of wine H how does it work right okay well again similar to um fine arts that's collected there has to be a whole chain of what what's referred to as provenance which means the history of the wine itself and the history of ownership because another thing is that even if even if there was no doubt that it was the genuine bottle of wine how has it been stored? And if it's been stored improperly, it could be ruined wine that would be worth a fraction of the price of something that's been stored at the right temperature, at the right humidity, and that makes it worth a lot. Uh -huh. And so your question's an interesting one because there are wine um, auction experts that are attached or used as consultant wine experts by auction houses who will taste the wine Either it would be the master of wine, the current um, master uh, uh, of wine, or, or I should say, the master blender who is at the uh, the winemaker and master blender at the wine house at the moment. So the person, for example, at Penfolds, um, who is in charge, because that company 
apart from Grange, they, they are the highest collected range of wines under the same producer out of all of Australia. And I have been twice in Hong Kong at an amazing event where for they, get, they offer a free service to those who collect vintages of Penfold wine to re-cork their bottles, okay? They, because cork over a period of time, even if you keep it in a wine cellar, like a refrigerated and uh, correctly humidified wine cellar, there is deterioration in natural cork because it does degrade. And so they offer to their to people who collect their wines and, and I can't think of another wine producer that does that they will go around I've been twice in Hong Kong they do it in Singapore they do it around Asia and I believe they do it around the world going around testing the uh, the corks to see if they need recorking now at the same time they do take a really micro amount like a pipette or more worth of wine through a syringe to test whether the wine is still both authentic and also um, uh, how it has how, how it's faring whether it has ruined whether it's reached its peak whether it has plateaued in terms of don't wait any longer otherwise it's going to turn into something that won't be wanted to be <laughs> won't be drunk, tasty yeah? yeah 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 it'll be on the turn you know yeah. and so there's so so um, for people who don't have something that's been already uh, accredited by experts. If someone was buying something from auction that doesn't have a whole list of provenance that's been um, that's been authenticated by trusted experts, then if someone really wants to buy it, they will have to pay out of their own pocket, or the auction house might take the hit if they were because they're going to make a massive slice out of selling an expensive bottle of wine or bottles of wine anyway. They might pay for some expert to take a syringe out, and this is what these masters of wine, you know, we've spoken had an interview with one of them not too long ago about Georgian wine on this program. I did a feature, and we know that there are a few masters of wine living and practicing in Hong Kong. They, they, they consult in many different ways. They spend years getting this highly trained palate so they can taste you know, the nuances that the average people won't be that's, able to. That blows uh, my mind. It's amazing yeah, how some people yeah. have... And you can actually train it? or I think you have to be born with it somewhat. Um, I think it helps by, uh, for sure that some people are more attuned to it. There might be some people who try to take the many wine exams that come before becoming a master of wine who find that if they are not able to detect both um, the palate, the taste, and the nose, as it's called, which is the fragrance of the wine, then they, they're not cut out to take their studies further to become, basically, there are four types of certificate, certification, which is called uh, WSET, Wine and Spirits, um, it's a wine and spirit certification and there are four levels of that and they progressively get harder and harder before they get to uh, then the possibility of the person wants to commit further to do a master of wine or there's also a master sommelier um, which is something else which people do and, and, and when they do that it's always because they it's not a hobby because you put so much time and resources into doing this that you want to make a career out of it uh, a sad fact is um, when I was working with uh, uh, at, at a wine publication for a while and uh, we had five masters of wine on our editorial team in different parts of the world who were specialising in different regions, um, I heard from many of them that as people hit 50 and above, 
is quite common for deterioration of detectability in both taste and oh. the fragrance to to happen so that's such a shame that, that, I, i've heard women are actually mm. better as well they've got a better nose i've heard people it has been said it's interesting certainly in the last 10 or 12 or so years there have been far more women uh who have achieved this the the level of master of wine um less so in the uh in in the steps that lead up to that because a lot of people will do the first two three or even four steps before going to master of wine in order to become a sommelier in a restaurant or to maybe work or even start their own wine or spirits business so that's something which, uh, but yeah, the ones who have, who, who have pushed further, certainly in Hong Kong, where we have four masters of wine, three of them are female. So it's, uh, that's, that's interesting. And the first two that were, the, 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 before anyone else caught up and there were more of them, were both female too. So it does, it has, it has been said that the, uh, the female uh, detection of both the nose, the fragrance and the palate uh, does seem in some people's uh, thoughts to be uh, to be more attuned to wine than the male one, certainly at master of wine level. However, uh, there are more male masters of wine in the world across the, across the board still at the moment. Whether that will change over a period of time because of this, you know, this, this theory, whether it's correct or not, or the fact that women feel confident enough, as they have done certainly in the last dozen years, I'd say, to get into what was previously a male-dominated area of work uh, we'll have to see maybe in 10 or 12 years from now maybe the balance will have shifted and there'll be more females we'll have to wait to find out about that one um so back to the uh the record-breaking bottle um as i mentioned penfolds goes around recorking uh, bottles because of original cork deterioration. This one would have been way back in 1951. Um, the, the last time this bottle had been recorked, and it had been recorked more than once, was 1988. And as I said, every time that happens, but it doesn't happen with lots of other producers' wines. I've got to say, Penfolds this is quite a rarity in offering this one up. Um, it, uh, th there is a, a really tiny amount taken out with a syringe, which is taken to make sure that the isn't either deteriorated and therefore Im impacts the value of the wine or isn't going to deteriorate soon. And that has to be these very finely attuned wine experts to make that forecast because they can tell. And your, your question about whether certain vintages, whether people can detect the differences and so on, what happens is that before fine wines, the ones that are really always the big names that are going to make these chateaus particularly um, the wine houses in Burgundy as well as Bordeaux in France, particularly, as well as many other places in the world. Um, you do get tastings by masters of wine or wine critics or people in the industry who don't have these these titles but are still considered authorities in tasting wine. Wine makers will go around tasting what is going on in the big oak barrel or steel vats, depending on how that wine is made, whether it's made in steel or made in oak, that, uh, to see how it's progressing and how that vintage, they will forecast what a vintage will be like before it ends up in the bottle and on the shelves of either a fine wine shop or a supermarket. So there are certain years which are considered 
to be outstanding years. And some some wines which are made in some vineyards and wine estates, if they don't have what they consider by their own in-house wine experts to be an excellent vintage, we're talking about the more expensive ones. For mass-produced wine, this doesn't exist. But for the better wines, if it's not a great vintage, if, in other words, if the if the vines are not showing that they're going to be getting ripe at the right time, getting the maximum sunshine, and that they're being pruned. Vines are pruned, so you take away, you don't want to have too many grapes on the vine because you want to concentrate the flavor into fewer grapes. That'll make a more intense flavor into the final wine that goes in the bottle. And so you get certain champagne houses are famous for not releasing vintages if they don't believe that it's up to scratch. But those grapes won't be thrown away. They'll be used for their non-vintage champagnes or non-vintage wines, or they'll be sold to other mass market producers who can use these grapes, which will make perfectly fine wine. I mean, perfectly okay wine, but it won't be good enough for these wine houses that, that are only putting things out there that are what they consider the, the best. The creme de la creme. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Except non-dairy products, yeah. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Le wine yeah. de la wine. Exactly, le vin de la vin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it, it is an interesting area. And interesting also that adding to the value of this one, which came in at 812,000 Hong Kong dollars, was a hand-signed label by Max Schubert, who only made um, a few hundred maximum bottles of this vintage 1951 Penfolds Grange wine. So that was um, that was quite outstanding. Now there are other things, the other things that I wanted to mention today, but we have got into, we've kind of dug in a bit deep on the uh, on the whole area of wine. wine. <laughs> um, yeah, which we, uh, it is an interesting subject, so I might it is, not... yeah, thank you so much for, for, for sharing your, your knowledge, Andrew. I mean, I'm really glad you, you have an expertise in, in this area. Um, ha we're ha happy to end it uh, now, or if you wanted to, to yeah. say one more bit, or you want to save it for, for another time? Well, we've got about yeah, four minutes left, three minutes. Yeah, I think... I think um, I think I will say what I've got because I actually had three different food and drink audio podcasts to recommend, and uh, and I, I don't really want to. If we've only got a a few minutes, I don't really want to rattle through those. But I'll continue happily on the area of uh, of, of wine and places to watch out for maybe in uh, in just a just a very kind of brief recommendation. I've got to say that there's never been a better time to probably get wines from uh, wineries that uh, by searching the listener can find good reviews and good and uh, you know, good good opinions about wines from both Sussex in the UK because of global warming we've talked about the sparkling wine there before but there's also still wines I won't mention the names because there are some quite there, there, are, there are varied ones and we can't go into details now. But I would say the quality of wine that is coming out of um, the, mostly the south of the UK, but also there are a couple of wineries in the rest of, uh, of Great Britain as well, and even coming out of Wales, not as far as Scotland. Uh, they're better sticking off to their distilleries making whiskey. But So that's the UK. And also really good quality wines coming from Chile, 
Chile, which does is known mostly for its mass-produced good value and very decent, uh, either lower-end or medium-priced wines, has in recent years been winning more and more awards for its really top-end stuff. And these aren't these aren't reaching the staggering prices even for recent vintages uh, that some of the old kind of well-known like Bordeaux, Burgundy, um, they, they, they're, they're more affordable, but really worth looking into if you really want to treat is um, like if you've got a special occasion, I would look up Chilean wines and there are a couple of producers who do, also they do the blend. Bordeaux, Bordeaux has influence, like I said, for Australia, um, also in Napa Valley, which is uh, we've spoken about before, which is regarded as one of the finest areas of wine for um, in, in America, in California, um, uh, and also in Chile, they take those core grapes, Cabernet Sauvignon, um, Merlot sometimes, and uh, and and Shiraz, and, uh, and and as a, a couple of other grapes that are allowed in Bordeaux, they plant them, and they have slightly different characteristics because of the soil and uh, the terroir. If you remember that word, Laurie, I the most certainly do. Terroir, <laughs> yeah, yeah. the microclimate in which the grapes yeah. are being grown. Exactly. Um, and it gives it a slightly different edge. You'll get, you know, a different earthiness from the soil and different things will be detected. But yeah, um, I, I, I really do rate some of the better uh, Chilean wines for sure. Excellent. That's, uh, that's where I think that's probably where we'll leave the wine talk for today, Laurie. Perfect. Perfect timing. Well, Andrew, once again, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. And I look forward to uh, your podcast recommendations uh, perhaps yeah. next week. Thank you so much for your wine sure. sharing. Thank you, Andrew. Bye for now. Thanks, Laurie. Have a good afternoon. Bye. And a quick look at the weather forecast for this afternoon.